Okay, in this episode, I have Sarah Smith of Sarah Smith Strength, as well as the host of uh, Dirty Strength Radio uh, podcast. And she is a former research analyst for the NIH and uh, some major universities, and she's able to use that scientific background to review some of that research and provide evidence-based strategies uh, towards functional movement uh, in medicine, especially for her clients as a personal coach, largely towards women. And that's what we'll be discussing today in uh, the differences between men and women and having that appreciation that we are different and that certain times of our lives, uh, different training and recovery is required and certain things within women uh, influence that uh, during the month, the, particularly the menstrual impact on fitness um, as well as uh, postpartum, what that does, how that impacts uh, a woman's body and expectations on what to have on training if you're used to doing something a particular way uh, that that may change postpartum. And then some of the different aspects of um, the fitness paradigm and how uh, historically they're in the midst, fitness in general is in the midst of a transformation on better applying that point to women's fitness that it was um, the fitness programs of the past were more um, designed for smaller men as uh, Sarah quoted in the episode uh, you know women are not smaller men they're physically different and it requires a slightly nuanced approach and so just like each of us individually uh, we've heard on other episodes, personalized medicine. You have to look at the individual and apply it from there. We also talk about the pelvic floor, what that is, and um, ways to to manage through that. And you know, it was an educational experience for me. Uh, gives me a little better understanding of uh, the women around me. I've uh, quite a few of them, and so I think it'll be an educational session um, whether you are a woman depending on where you are in your life set it, it will be applicable uh, it'll be great for men to be able to better empathize and if you're a coach to be able to think of things uh, a little differently potentially on how you apply your programming so uh, if you find this helpful informative or know of someone that could benefit from this information that is what we are all about here and please share to help uh, educate and work towards that one step towards better health thanks for listening remember to share and like the podcast thank you very much be rested be well all right well with me today is sarah smith of sarah smith strength uh, she's a personal trainer coach author and host of dirty strength radio sarah thanks for joining me welcome thank you for having me i'm really pumped to be here yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, we're going to talk about functional fitness, but on an area that, and, and other things, but an area that I have pretty much zero experience in, which is women's health. Uh, other than the fact that I'm, you know, husband, father of three girls and an older brother, two sisters, that's the extent of my experience. That's pretty good. That's, you know, uh, baptism well by surrounded. fire. Yeah, you're yeah. surrounded, right? So you kind of right. have to learn. You kind of have to get it. <laughs> exactly. And all the more reason to do this, you know, just to kind of get a better understanding of, of um, what my wife's going through at, at our age now and, and 
our daughters as, as they age and, and where they are in their life. But um, kind of before we dig into that, maybe give a little bit of background in, in your own story and how you got into kind of doing what you're doing and coaching. Okay, awesome. Um, so I was an athletic coach in my early 20s and I was a track coach and I really love teaching people how to develop skills and just to feel strong and capable and confident in their sport. So I feel like I brought that to fitness because for me, it's not just about like burning calories and fat loss, but acquiring skills and performance and coming at it more from like an athletic perspective. And so if you want to come at fitness from an athletic perspective, you really have to have a great appreciation for the body and know how to optimize the body, capitalize on physiology, which is unique between males and females. So after I finished my stint as an athletic coach, I actually went and worked at the National Institutes of Health. And I spent about 10, 12 years in the world of science, peer-reviewed literature, lab bench science, that whole kind oh, of wow. thing. Yeah. So so that's another thing that I feel like I've brought to my fitness um, business and my coaching style because I love evidence-based work and I really love taking complex scientific concepts about how the body works, even on like a cellular level, right? chemistry, and making it relevant to my clients because it also helps us sometimes understand why things are not functioning well and how something as simple as like, I'm only sleeping six hours a night can be problematic. You know what I mean? Because of how it impacts the nervous system and digestion and your performance in the gym. So I feel like I have a, a, you know, pretty strong science background and I like reading complex scientific literature and everything. And so I bring all that in with me when I'm doing my coaching. And so after the birth of my third son, I had just finished a master's in soil science and sustainable agriculture. I had worked in environmental microbiology. I, I, worked at National Cancer Institute, National Institutes of Health. So lots of different science in and around health and food production and the environment. But it's really hard to work full-time in science when you have three little kids running around, you know, and then also like balance taking care of yourself and everything. So I decided to go back to my roots of coaching and I realized, you know, I can be a coach still. There's this beautiful thing called the internet that I can (laughs) utilize um, so I did some in-person training and I actually built a gym in my own garage so that I could see people and everything. Um, so that was really cool, but now I'm working primarily online and throughout my coaching, I first just started like straight up fat loss fitness, just teaching women how to like work out more efficiently to get better results, things like that. But, um, because of my own journey with recovering from birth and having some pelvic floor dysfunction and some core dysfunction and talking to women about their physiological struggles. I ended up just pursuing more and more um, courses, credentials, and experience specifically around the pelvic floor, which is the pelvic diaphragm at the base of your abdomen. And so now, now for the most part, what I do is I educate people on how the pelvic floor works and how it impacts their performance and fitness in the gym. And that can have far-reaching consequences or... It just really depends on the person. But I always do it in the context of strength training and helping women to just understand how their bodies function so that they can make informed decisions. Okay. No, that's that's an awesome background and diverse. And and like you said, you can kind of bring a variety of things to bear uh, that one lead credence to to what you're advocating for. 
And, uh, you know, obviously with women, you can speak to that yourself and your own personal experience with, with that. Yeah. And there's so, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing this too. Like we are seeing more and more science being brought into the, just even just like general fitness culture online. And as people are trying to understand things like functional fitness and what it means for the body. And we're bringing in like concepts like the nervous system and, you know, how your muscles grow and functionality and all that stuff. There's still so much garbage, like inaccurate, unscientific messaging that's marketed to both men and women for sure, but definitely women. And so I love that we're seeing more evidence-based work. Um, But up until the 90s, most of the research that was ever conducted in fitness, either on diet or physical fitness, was exclusively conducted on men. So we still have a lot of catching up to do. And even if they did conduct research on women, a lot of times they have put them on like a hormonal birth control to completely take their menstrual cycle off the table. So there's a lot of research that we, like the paradigm that we've been operating from for decades with respect to fitness and how diet and exercise impact people. We haven't been looking at women as a whole person with hormonal fluctuations, just sort of like um, Dr. Stacey Sims says, like women are not small men but we've been kind of right. coaching them like they are. So, so it's, it's fun. I like being a part of this wave, but I'm just one very, very, very tiny piece of it. <laughs> well, you know, maybe let's pull on that thread then. So what is a, you know, a, a key nuance that was overlaid um, from a men's fitness perspective into women that was maybe a misapplication? Well, just even how women train in order to get the best results and recover um, in the best way possible over the course of the month is different because, you know, hormonally we have completely different cycles, you know, within like a 28 to 31 day period, depending on the person. So it's interesting, like right in the beginning of the cycle, when women tend to kind of feel like they're worse and feel like they're most a woman because they're experiencing all this, you know, stuff with having their menstrual cycle, we're hormonally most like men. So we can actually train harder, lift heavier. But as we continue through the cycle and we're moving closer to like ovulation and then post-ovulation, our bodies actually become a little inflamed and we have, we process food a little bit differently. We can be a little less insulin sensitive and we don't recover as well from exercise. So if you know that, and, and high level athletes know this, they train this way, but this information hasn't necessarily, it's only recently become more available to like general population. Right. Women, uh, in my experience, a lot of women put tons of pressure on themselves and either feel like they're failing um, because they can't be as consistent over the course of the month, they're like, well, I have to train five days a week. And if they get to that second half of the month and they're not recovering or they're more susceptible to injury, or they're just like more sore, they're not performing as well. They can internalize it and think like, it's all about them, that they're lazy and they can push harder and then they can become injured. So I really educate all of my clients to keep in mind where I actually had a client today. She had her weekly check-in and she was like, I only got three out of my four workouts done. She's like, I realize it's because I'm approaching, you know, I'm where I am in my cycle. I'm just not recovering as well, you know? So, so that's a huge piece of it because recovery, how we process food and how strong we are, how many reps we can do, the volume we can um, withstand in the gym and still feel good, not injure ourselves can be different just in that 30 day period. And so when you know that you can just, Put adjust less pressure on you. Yeah, you can adjust and you cannot feel bad, you know, because the mindset, mental sports psychology piece of fitness is right. so huge. Like some people will throw in the towel altogether because they were nailing their workouts for two weeks and then they're like, oh, now I just fell off the wagon, you know? Right. 
Well, and yeah, I think that's, that's a universal challenge where you maybe you misapply the objective for that week or not apply the proper context of where you are in your own life. Right. We all have seasons that we go in and out of, you have good days and bad days, but understanding the why behind that uh, seems more prevalent for a woman than a man per se Mm -hmm. on what's going on within themselves chemistry wise. Right. And even on, if you zoom out a little bit, if you think about women working out physically engaging in fitness from, you know, let's say maybe late teens up until 70s or 80s, hormonally men change too, but women go through some major changes in that like between 20 and 40, she might be having a few kids. And then between like mid 40s until 60s, she might she's perimenopausal. And so we have to think of it in terms of that too, is that women need different programming and support, sometimes different kinds of fueling and mindset towards exercise because the expectations you can have for a body whose priority biologically is to grow and protect the baby right now or feed a baby while keeping you up standing and alive is going to be different. And what you can expect of your body in the gym during that season is going to be different than when you can expect either before or after, you know, you're having babies and all that kind of thing. Right. So, so is it kind of like around the nutritional element and what your body is needing or demanding at that time to understand what the draws are? Does that make sense? It can be. I think the nutrition piece can be huge because a lot of women are under fueling. A lot of women have this weird like 1200 calorie number in their mind of like, that's what you need. And so I I have yet to work with someone that has, um, I have almost yet to work with anyone that's come to me that isn't under fueling their food and under eating just because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people that are in like the CrossFit world that get really into macros and stuff like that, a lot of times those people, they can be obsessive about food, but I find that if they're building muscle, they're a little bit better at supporting themselves. But a lot of people in fitness, um, the women that I work with, like type A personality, like really trying to like get stuff done, balance it all, be a good mom, go to the gym, you know, be balanced and everything they're under fueling, but I don't, I, I don't really specialize in nutrition in the sense that I don't write meal plans or anything like that. It's more just like, you need to eat more. These are some general guidelines of how to do that. But what I do see is, is the expectations people have for their bodies, like how soon they're going to bounce back from pregnancy, how they should train during pregnancy and even how their bodies shift and change morphologically from carrying babies, like the spine, the curvature of the spine actually changes and the hip position. So if you don't train in a certain way after you've had babies to reconnect and re-knit the bodies, I have women that come with me to me that are in their 60s and they still look, they have the shape changes and the movement mechanics of someone that I can tell is like they adopted these movement mechanics when they were pregnant. They just never untrained it. Oh, wow. That's, uh, what does that do for the physiological body over time is that just like any other you know misaligned mm-hmm. uh functional movement that's going to just wear and tear on you yeah it's it's the same problem that we you see and especially that you probably talk about in functional fitness because a lot of what you see in women that have been pregnant is um forward posture especially if they're like nursing the babies and like leaning over and taking care of kids a lot of um, tailbone tucking, so the posterior pil- tilt to the pelvis or anterior tilt because the belly is so heavy and then mm. the body is just, you know, we're so flexible. We have this hormone called relaxin in the body that allows us to stretch because we're growing a human, you know, and which there's <laughs> not really detail. space. Yeah. I mean, there's not really a lot of space in there. If you see pictures of the abdomen, it's just like, I love showing the women that I work with, like 
this is what's in your abdominal cavity. Notice how there's no room. It's so compact. There's like liver and spleen and intestines and everyone's like in stomach and they're all shoved up in each other. And then the uterus grows and now there's a baby in there. So you have to stretch. The problem is that when we stretch, if we're training a lot, we're not mindful and it, we get, the body gets into new movement patterns and we just keep them unless right. we learn to, and I don't want to say undo them because they're not bad. Like undo means like you started bad habits. It was how you had to move when you were pregnant, but it doesn't serve you well long-term, especially if you're going to be doing some heavy back squats or some box jumps, or, you know, you want to be a marathon runner, you know? Right. So as you, you mentioned, you know, the pregnancy element of it and then the post-pregnancy, what are some things that, um, when you start shifting into like the thirties, forties, fifties, uh, that might be different, uh, at that point. I think that what I like to see in thirties, forties and fifties, it's too bad that it takes pregnancy. And sometimes some of the injuries or discomforts that come from giving birth for people to finally dial in and pay attention to their bodies. That sense of immortality kind of goes away, especially I think once you become a parent, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like I have all this responsibility and what if something happened to me, you know? So then you yeah. don't really feel like, and, and your body goes through much, so much, even if you're a dad, because having kids wears on both bodies, right? Like dads sure. are up walking the halls, sitting in uncomfortable positions, like burping the baby and everything. So both parents for sure um, have some physio physio physical wear and tear. But um, so what I really see is one of the biggest things that women neglected to do before, but especially need to do afterwards is dial in their breath and learn how to breathe properly because people in, in fitness and exercise, they don't understand the concept of your reflexive core stability. They think about having like a super strong core, it's like six pack abs and, and they can get away with that a lot of times before before they were stretching, before their shape changed, right? And before hormonally, things were a little different. But then afterwards, if you want to have a strong core, and if you don't, you can get anything from, you, you know, you can roll your ankle, you can have bad knees, you can have shoulder issues, you can have neck and back issues, you can have chronic low back pain and hips. Like there's a lot of problems and injuries that can stem simply from a core that doesn't engage reflexively, which means just like automatic. Like I don't need to say, Brace your core, Sarah, you're doing something. It's just, it's trained to do it, right? right? But that all comes from the breath and and the ability to manage pressure. And so teaching women how to breathe in a manner that moves their thoracic diaphragm, which is like right at the base of your rib cage, up and down all day long. And in a dance that it does with the pelvic floor, they move together like a piston. And then we add to that... Um, the engagement of the core, but the deep core muscles, not like six pack abs, like rectus abdominis, but your deep transversus abdominis. We work on that um, machinery basically and optimize it to give strength to the whole body because all your power really comes from your torso. Right. And if your torso is unstable, then things like hips and shoulders and low back have to kick in to make up for the fact that this automatic reflexive core stability system is just not working. So it's, it's actually a problem for everyone, honestly. A lot of people, I have men that I work with, um, high-performance athletes, guys that are overtrained that like struggle with this too, but it becomes most obvious to women when they've had babies because of the stretching that happens out the front that changes their, their core and the, the relaxation of the pelvic floor and everything like that. So it's most obvious there, but... And then you start carrying the child, not from the front, but the side, right? Yeah. You're shifting hips and like you yeah. said, the shoulder too, the, the curl mm -hmm. in. 
Yep. Yeah. So many people like are because the pelvis tilted forward, they're in this rib flare position and they're holding the baby up here to be strong and they're compressing their spine and their low back or their pelvis is tucked under. So their tailbone is kind of tucked under and then they're almost, their body kind of looks like a question mark, you know, and they're in flexion all the time. And then, like you said, then they're holding the baby and we're almost always sleep deprived. So we just keep holding the baby on the same side over and over and over again. So now your whole body is this like weird wonky, like question mark, you know, with this like hip hike. And then people are like, but why, but why did I get hurt when I ran that marathon? Why can't I back squat 200 pounds? I used to do it all the time. It's just like your, your body's not the same, you know? Yeah. Um, so what are some maybe misperceptions that even women themselves, um, may possess based on what that comment earlier on, you know, maybe misinformation or dated information, um, that would be helpful for women who are kind of trying to reclaim, you know, their, their wellness. Yeah. So do you mean just in general or like postpartum after they've, if they're reclaiming like after kids or, okay, we'll do that. We'll narrow it into that. Um, So I think there's a few things. Number one is that you cannot train a body to be strong if it doesn't feel safe. And your body is never going to feel safe if it's chronically tired and inflamed and stressed. And even though exercise is amazing and I love exercise, exercise is intrinsically stressful and inflammatory. That's the benefit of it. How the body recovers from the inflammation, from the destruction of muscle tissue is what, it's that adaptation that makes us better. The problem is two things, well, three things. The first thing is if you're already inflamed and stressed, then you add more inflammation and stress to that. It's like if you take a rubber band and you're already like, kind of like turn it, turn it, turn it. So it's like coils up on itself. And then you go to the gym and then you keep turning, 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 coiling. And then you're like, why am I so sore? Why am I broken down? Why do I have adrenal fatigue? Why are my cortisol messages all messed up? It's like, because you are adding so much inflammation and stress to the body that you never really took the time to relax because you didn't have the tools to know how to do it. It's not just like bubble baths and massages. Like there's practical things that we can do in the gym to help. So, so adding stress and inflammation already to bodies of women that oftentimes are stressed and inflamed from lack of sleep and, you know, the trauma of giving birth or the trauma of raising children, let's be real, like, come on, you know, so there's that. Then there's also the over-exercising piece. Even if you start from a baseline of not stressed and inflamed, you need time in between your workout days to adapt for your body to recover. So you need rest. A lot of women are working out more than they need to because they're looking at people online that are training five days a week, fitness professionals, athletes, people that show up and tell you that they are one thing when they could be totally another because, you know, let's yeah, face it. Kind of marketing body imaging yeah. overlay. And that's, you know, universal as well to some extent. Yeah, of course. So people are comparing themselves to individuals that oftentimes have private chefs that have massage therapists, they go through cryobraths, they don't have children that they're struggling to get in bed every night that wake them up at five in the morning. They don't have the perfect balanced meal plan designed for them by their dietitian. They don't have that, but they're still thinking like, that's what I need to be doing, right? right? So not having time for the adaptation and recovery process in between your training is another thing. And then the third thing is fueling, right? Fueling. And fueling to me is sleep. It's like community connection and relationship. And then it's also calories, obviously. 
So, so I think those are the things that I operate from for most people in the areas that we talk about. And depending on somebody's problem, you know, we might focus on more things. If they're a, a historic over-exercise or under-eater, we might focus on nutrition. If their burnout has resulted in pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic organ prolapse, which is, is a sinking of organs, then we talk about nourishment and resting and training. So pretty much everyone that I work with struggles with these three concepts. And I had to learn them myself because I didn't know them either. I thought you could just go, 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 push on your body. Leaner is better, work harder, you know, train five days a week, six days a week, or you're not doing enough, you know? Right, right. So you kind of mentioned leaner is better. And we touched on the differences earlier between men and women. And it seems one of those is also around uh, either muscle or weight loss. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can, I know from just conversations with others, you know, men tend to be able to shed weight pretty easily. Um, Maybe we can just touch on, on the context of that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they for sure can, right? They'll just give up soda and then they'll lose weight, right? Right. And that kind of thing. Um, Women just sit at a higher fat percentage than men. Whether we like it or not, biology is such that until we go through menopause, our bodies are designed to procreate, right? So the body is like, whoa, you know, like we got to make sure you have whatever it is that you need in order to perpetuate the species. Cause that's what you're here for. It's right. honest. That's what your body thinks. On a biological right? level. Yeah. Yeah. It's just trying to preserve you and make sure because hormones are fat based, right? And women have men and women both have hormones. Women have a lot of hormones and they change throughout. So you need to have adequate fat. We sit at a higher fat percentage, right? Um, than men do generally. And we don't have as much testosterone. We have testosterone and we need it. And it's amazing and great for helping to build muscle, but we don't have as much of it. So we can't build lean muscle quite as easily in some ways. That being said, we can outperform men in, in certain ways um, too. Um, so it's there's kind of like swap offs. But, sure. but I think it's the kind of thing that, and then at the, at the same time, every month your body gets prepared for a pregnancy. And so the idea that we're going to be able to stay our leanest all the time over 30 days, it's possible people do it. But those people end up with adrenal fatigue. A lot of times they end up with pelvic floor problems and um, they burn out. They don't do well because it's just, if you want to be pretty lean, then you have to kind of cycle it. You know, you can't just perpetually be doing that in a way that I think men can. But I, I also think if we look at our ancestors, you know, I don't know how much you like the whole ancestral health primal piece, but it's just like men were able to subsist on less food and be hunter gatherers and being out and about and whatever in a way that women were not, they're not. And we lose our fertility if we do. And that's, it's not good for us because we need to ovulate every month in order to be healthy, whether we want to get pregnant or not, that's just a requirement for hormonal health. And I think that's a key nuance that you mentioned is, you know, redefining healthy uh, or better defining it. It sounds like to me anyway, in what you're saying is like, the weight thing where a man may be able to sustain whatever the weight is the whole time, but due to those nuances, it's not an expectation to have for yourself uh, for, for a woman to, to maintain that unless there's some other nuances going on. Yeah. And I'm a huge like proponent of women feeling like comfortable in their bodies. Like, I don't think aesthetics is the most important thing, but it's part of it. Like, let's just be real. You know, when people like, when people come to me and they're like, I just want to feel strong. I'm like, "Mm, 
Yeah. Really? Yet? Okay, that's fine. I'm glad that you want to feel strong and skilled, but a lot of times people, they do have some physique change that they want. But what I think women are missing a lot of times is that if you want to be toned and have a fit, strong, capable physique, then you have to build muscle. And building muscle is about um, low reps, heavy weight, lots of rest and recovery in between and eating a lot of food, you know? And so a lot of fitness culture markets to women are these ideas that they have to be jumping around for 60 minutes and feel like they're going to puke at the end of the workout <laughs> and earn their figure, right? But you can really be more efficient, work out less and have, maybe you're not going to be like super, super lean. It just depends on your genetics, you know, but you can have a very fit, capable, athletic look to you and feel good and feel supported and not be dealing with injury and feel broken all the time. If you come at fitness from a more of an investment, I think, perspective and investing, yeah, and investing in muscle. Dan John is a famous coach that I know, and he's always, he talks about it. It's like, build your engine. You know, it's money in the bank. When you build strength and you invest in your body, a lot of women's bodies want to sit at a certain weight. Like if your body just is happy at 155, trying to make it a 135 pound body is going to be a, an, an, a losing battle. You're going to get, your hair will get gross. Your skin will get gross. You'll lose your fertility. You'll get injuries. But if you're just like, okay, 155 is where it's at, but I'm going to be a muscular 155 then there's so much freedom and confidence and health, I think, that comes with that than trying to fight physiology all the time. So I, do you think weight is like a misnomer as a measure of success? Or I do. I do personally. Yeah, because I just see, I know women that are like, you know, 180 something that most people are like, that's too heavy for a fit woman who look fantastic because they just have a really strong physique and they're just big people. They have a big right. build, you know? And my friend Candace always talks about weight. She, she was on my podcast recently and she's like, well, here's the thing about weight loss. You can cut your arm off and lose weight. So it's just like, what does that get you? You know? Right. So right. feeling good in your clothing, especially for women that have had babies, like I get it. Like you want to feel kind of like yourself. You want to feel like clothes look flattering on you. You don't want things that there is a point I think where we are sitting at a high body fat percentage where we have a lot of cytokines and inflammation in the body. And that doesn't confer health. Like we know that the scientific literature shows us that like obesity has negative impacts on our health and life expectancy. So I get that, but being like super, super lean or thinking like, well, I weighed 120 when I got married and I have to get back to that. It's just like, I don't know, maybe you were under eating if you were in your early twenties, like were you living on like, pizza and ramen and maybe you weren't nutritionally balanced and healthy like I don't know so I think the number thing we need to throw away and get and prioritize like am I sleeping do I feel good am I showing up yeah yeah like am I am I acting like a mental case to my (laughs) children and my husband like maybe I'm overtraining maybe I'm under eating you know right right yeah and and that's you know you can dig into that for pretty much anyone yeah um, for that so um, we touched on a little bit and uh, the pelvic floor. So I was doing reading on this and I still didn't quite understand it. So that's why I'm, I'm the, the interviewer, not the expert, I guess. But uh, maybe you can unpack that a little bit. Okay. So we'll start with what is the pelvic floor because I yeah. think a lot of people are like. What? So the first thing is everyone has a pelvic floor. 
even animals have it, um, male and female. So a lot of times people think it's a female problem. We see dysfunction of the, of the pelvic floor and problems with it in women um, more because the tissues are impacted by hormones and because of the shifts that happen in the body during menopause and birth and pregnancy. But I work with men that have pelvic floor issues, so anyone can struggle with them. And the pelvic floor is basically just a group of muscles. It's not one muscle. It's a, it's a system of muscles. And then there is fascia and ligaments and involved too. At the base of your pelvis, connected to your pelvic bones and also to your spine and to your pubic symphysis, which is in the front of your pelvic bones, where your two pelvic bones come together. And so these muscles, their job is to be supple and responsive. So even though we say floor because it's like the bottom, I don't really love that term because when people think of a floor, they think of something really strong and tight and rigid. Right. And a, an optimally conditioned pelvic floor that's doing its job is a supple, responsive trampoline. Because a big part of what the pelvic floor does is absorb shock. So when you're running or when you're jumping or coughing or sneezing, you have all these amazing organs in your pelvis that are super important, um, rectum, your bladder, and if you're a woman, a uterus, and they move up and down because they're all in fluid and it's a pressure system. And so the pelvic floor's job partly is to supply, um, I mean, to respond automatically to give support to those organs. And if they don't, you can see a weightlifters, male or female, um, will have prolapse. The organs will fall out of place and they can come out one of the openings in the pelvic floor. So, um, so that's a really important thing. The other thing that it does is that it confers stability to the hips and the spine. So even before a heel strike, when you're running, before you move your shoulder, your pelvic floor turns on to support your torso from the bottom to make sure that you're stable. The pelvic floor is part of your stability system, just like the core stability system that I met, mentioned earlier. And when they're stable and they're working, it allows everything else to be mobile that needs okay. to be mobile, right? And then the last thing that I mentioned already before that's really important about the pelvic floor is that it, it moves with the thoracic diaphragm. So even though they're not actually connected to each other, like they're not like there's not like strings necessarily, they, they're sandwiched on top of each other. The thoracic diaphragm is basically at the top of your core canister and the pelvic floor at the bottom. And they move together like a piston. So when you inhale and you take a big breath, your lungs expand, your diaphragm moves down and your pelvic floor moves down and there's an increase in pressure in your abdominal cavity. And the belly needs to relax. So people that suck in their bellies and are, have like really tight abs all the time, a lot of times they miss out on a good full breath because if the belly doesn't relax, the thoracic diaphragm can't come down all the way and it doesn't communicate as well with the pelvic floor. And then when you exhale, pelvic floor lifts supports your organs. I talk with my hands. I know this is an audio audible, but <laughs> um, so um, the pelvic floor lifts to support the organs and there's this negative pressure system and then the air comes out of your lungs and the, the diaphragm moves and your, and your core comes um, in a little bit too. And you can feel it. If you pay attention to your breathing, you can feel the expanse of your rib cage, your lungs, your belly, and your pelvic floor if you're paying attention on the inhale. And then the slight lift, the engagement of your deep core, and the movement of your thoracic diaphragm up on the exhale. Wow. So I, I've been doing a lot of, well, a lot, but uh, breathwork has been something I've been focused on the last year or so, and I had not heard that aspect of it um, described to affect kind of that lower region, that pelvic floor area. So Yeah, I love breathwork, and there's lots of different ways that you can breathe. Um, 
in different ways um, to, to get some really cool benefits and to move like chemical electricity throughout the body and all that stuff. So I think it's really neat, but a lot of people are just missing this one piece. A lot of people are mouth breathers. Yeah. So they breathe up into the chest. They use their accessory muscles. They have chronically stiff shoulders, neck, their chest is stiff. They don't know that that form of breathing puts you into fight or flight. Yeah, you're creating the anxiety. Yeah, you're creating anxiety and you're putting yourself in an unfavorable state of like the the vagus nerve and you don't engage the pelvic floor when you do that. The only way the pelvic floor can turn on automatically to support your body when it needs to and that it's really functioning because it plays roles too in like elimination and intercourse and all that stuff. So it's it's very, very important. My friend Tim Anderson from Original Strength is always like, the pelvic floor is where all the action's at. It's like, (laughs) it's true. It's super important, you know? So- so you want it to be optimally conditioned because when it's not, that's when people have problems. And even like, you know, men can have issues like hemorrhoids or constipation and, and, and different things like that. So it, it can be far reaching. Um, women can have lots of cramps and discomfort. Um, they can have, i trying to think of what the other thing was I was going to say. You can have prolapse where any of your organs can move out of place because your pelvic floor wasn't doing its job to support your organs. So either the bladder, really? the rectum or the uterus. Yeah can, can move. And so, and then that can be really devastating to people because a lot of times when they go to the doctors, they're told that the only solution is surgery to put that stuff back. But what they don't know is that when you have surgery, A, it doesn't always stick. If you don't change your movement mechanics, it's the same thing with functional fitness. It's like, you can get shoulder surgery, but if you don't change how you use your shoulder, is it going to feel better? Right? Yeah. So it's the same thing with pelvic floor. And then also, um, there's just a, and then you can't lift as much. Once you've had the pelvic floor surgery, there's limits to how much you can do. So if you can go back to basics, you can dial in your breath, you can better engage the pelvic floor, increase tone of the pelvic floor, not in a, in a, I'm holding it tight, keeping everything together sort of sense. Cause a lot of people do that and that's problematic too. But in a, again, getting that supple trampoline to kind of go up and down automatically because your nervous system and your breathing tells it to then a lot of times you can regress um, prolapse and avoid surgery. Or I work, I myself avoided it and I work with lots of people with that. That's what I help them to do. So, so kind of the summarize or not summarize, but if women are out there, regardless of where they are in their lifespan or, or pre or post child, you know, what is kind of a key question or thing that they should, what's their first right action maybe um, if they know they're just off and something is resonating what you've said and they want to get, you know, heal. If, if you feel like something is off in your normal life, or if you're just in the gym and you're like, whenever I go to the gym, I kind of feel like this either during the workout or after the workout, the last thing you want to do is add volume intensity and repetition to it because you are not only going to amplify that pain and cause inflammation in the body and even the body to shut down, but when things don't go right in the body, it's a red flag to us that something needs to be addressed. And so you can try and mute it with Motrin, like kind of stick your finger in the dike, but then you'll spring a leak somewhere else. So it's better just to handle it head on. And it's not uncommon for people, for women just over, I mean, men too, but definitely women over the course of their lifespan to just deal with some bumps in the road because of how we change hormonally and the different expectations and maybe even some of the trends that we subscribe to. I work with a lot of people sometimes that they're like trying really hard to be keto or trying really hard to be vegan or trying really hard to do CrossFit. It's just not agreeing with them. And maybe it's how they're doing it, but 
regardless, if your body is trying to speak to you and tell you, "Uh, excuse me, is this thing on? Like, this is not working for me. And you continue to mute it. Then you're communicating to your body. You're basically like, you're not keeping it safe. And you cannot train a body to be strong when it doesn't feel safe. It will, it will let you get away with it for a little bit. It will kind of hold things together, but eventually everything will implode. And that can look like a lot of different things. So I would just say, listening to your body is hard these days because a lot of people don't know yeah. what to listen for. Right. But if there's pain, if there's any kinds of leaking, if there's discomfort, if you're struggling to recover, if you're always sore, if you have this nagging injury... Don't just mute it. Try to find somebody that seems like they know what they're talking about that can help you to explore it and understand it, you know, um, because it's always your body just trying to talk to you, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. And I, you know, I've had a couple other conversations um, where, you know, personalized medicine and we're kind of getting to that point. You really can't take this one size fits all regardless of what it is. Mm-mm. regardless of the trend and you kind of touched on it like some of these diets are out there are they good yes it may not be good for you though because it may not agree with your body based on your personal chemistry man or woman there's so many other genetic elements to that on how you process the foods or maybe even your genealogical line of wherever you came from back in the day and what that ancestral food was like and how your right. body processes it not right. to mention the food mess we deal with with the manufactured foods and things of that nature oh my gosh you're speaking my language totally and the thing is too i think is that so many women use their fitness pursuit and movement as a way to decompress it's a it's a it's a method for helping them deal you know just maintain their mental health you know de-stress from whatever it is and i get that and so we don't want to lose that but the thing is is if you ignore signals that you think are going to make you cut back a little bit you you can lose it all together and so i believe that the body was intelligently designed by our creator and sometimes you know it's been my experience sometimes my injuries are things that i really hated when they happened they got my attention about maybe some shifts and priorities and values that i needed to change or i needed to go deeper and have a better more progressive, more accurate understanding of how the body work, not just what information was popular or available to me at that time. So I, I really just have learned to trust my body and to trust God that I'm like, well, this is something I need to pay attention to. And I try to help my, my clients and my students feel like that too, because it's every red flag, every setback is an opportunity to learn how to do better. And if, if you're an athlete, if you're, I mean, if you know anything about any of like the real high performing athletes, they're always getting hurt. They're always having setbacks. You know what I mean? They don't publicize it all the time. But so if you're going to put a lot of miles on your body, then things are going to come up, but it's just how you address them and how you move forward and how you, you can always maybe tweak your movement mechanics a little better, or, you know, just, you can go deeper and ignoring it is just never really going to get you anywhere good. Yeah. And keeping the end in mind again, and I, I, you know, I, I run and and pursue goals when I definitely get carried away in that, what the objective is. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, I'm in my mid forties. Longevity is my goal, not PRs. My PRs are long past at this point, unfortunately, at least in the, the, the times I thought I was capable of, but, uh, you know, just keeping that proper context and objective. So it's okay to take a step back or two Mm -hmm. heal healthy and then be able to do it longer. Cause if you keep going down that path, it could completely blow a gasket that you can't repair. I know. 
It's totally true. Everyone I know that's ever had like a serious surgery or injury is like, uh, I knew it. My body was telling me and I just, I pushed through. Yeah. And if you're an athlete and you make your money off your body and you kind of do make that deal, then that's one thing. But if you're just a regular person, like, you know what, what's three months of maybe doing some more gentle movement exercises to improve your like neurological engagement or your movement pattern so that you're better. It's like, you're going to, it's funny what you're saying. Cause I always tell my clients the same thing. It's like, you know, a lot of times when they're like in their early thirties, being fit right now is the most important thing. And I'm telling, I tell them, I'm like, my mom's 65 and she still wants to be in great shape. You're not going to care less later. You think now is the time because I'm young, but it's just like, no, now is the time all of the time. So don't do things now that take fitness and health and movement off the table later because you're going to care as much then maybe even more you know yep. we, we've like fitness 100%. is such yeah it's such a youth biased culture in a lot of ways that people are like i have to be my leanest right now because it's summer 2020 it's just like you know maybe yep. not <laughs> hey my goal is just not to be the guy that say i barely reached back in my car and i twist you know i tweak my yeah. back out like I, yeah. i'm not doing that so yeah. i'm to be fit and as and healthy and flexible as i can so yeah 100%. Um, well sarah i'm grateful for the time before we close out though i do like to close out with a couple personal questions yeah. um so what are you reading right now oh i'm reading a book called unseen realm by michael heiser and it's basically explaining the Bible in the context of the original Hebrew text. Cool. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. It's pretty meaty. Uh, it seems like. Reading. I know. Well, I, I never, that's the book that I literally was reading today and I started this week. I'm also reading Miss Marple's short story. So it's balanced. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what are you listening to, whether it's music or podcast? I haven't been listening to any podcasts lately because I'm trying to keep my brain clear what am i listening to um i don't know i haven't really been listening to too much music either like oh florence and the machine i've been listening to florence and the machine, florence I, got them out. And machine. Mm-hmm. I like her she's pretty easy for any occasion all right last one what is your go-to rest and recovery method my go-to rest and recovery method is i have two things well all right three things i breathe I have a breathing practice. I breathe all day long, every day, diaphragmatically. I use original strength resets, which are a series of movements that I teach and I love. I did not make them original strength ed, and I have an infrared sauna. So I pretty much use those three things to... You have your own infrared? I do. Oh, a little jealous. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love it. It's one of the best things I've ever purchased. Yeah, it... Um was fortunate to have uh, Dr. Raleigh Duncan on an episode and talk about clear light and what they do. And a mm-hmm. uh, friend has RXR three. He's got a facility uh, around the corner that has them. And I went twice this week and uh, they're awesome. They're awesome. They are really, really great. I have a high tech health one and it's like super low EMF and man, it was, it was worth the investment. I love it. I use a lot and put my kids in it. My husband uses it, but I'm like the addict. <laughs> Nice. Well, Sarah, again, thank you so much for the time and uh, have a great day. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Sarah Smith. You can check her out at Sarah Smith Strength on Instagram, uh, Dirty Radio 
Dirty Strength Radio on podcast platforms. And uh, if you got anything out of this or know somebody that can benefit from this episode, please do share. Um, Also, please rate and review. That is helpful for getting the word out. That is what we're about is educating, equipping, and empowering people to live this one life well. So please share, rate, and review. Thanks. Remember, be rested, be well.